All right, this evening, take out a copy of God's Word. If you have it, we're going to begin in 1 Thessalonians tonight, chapter number 1. We'll begin uh, our study and our messages through 1 Thessalonians. Last Sunday morning, we began through 1 Timothy. I'll be preaching through 1 Timothy on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. And uh, so we'll get through 1 Timothy in about, I don't know, maybe uh, three Sundays, three or four Sundays. And it'll take us about maybe six weeks as we go through 1 Thessalonians. Um, so if you want to read 1 Timothy, Timothy and 1 Thessalonians over the next uh, several weeks, it'll be a blessing to you. And um, so let's get into this. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. And um, let me read all of chapter 1, then we'll go back and we'll break this down together. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and follow along with me. Paul says, uh, Paul and Savinius and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, uh, Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love and the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, uh, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Acacia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything, for they themselves show of uh, show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Amen and amen. So we have here... Paul is writing by the Spirit of God to this church in Thessalonica. And he is going to deal with some good subjects here. And one particular subject that we'll see mentioned to throughout this whole letter is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that's the next event that we as the church should be looking forward to. That Jesus is going to rapture His bride out of this sin infested world. And uh, that's the next event that we have to look forward to, that Jesus is going to step out of the clouds and we're going to meet Jesus in the air and we're forever going to be with the Lord. So that's the next event that we have to look forward to. That's the hope that we have uh, that we're going to be with Jesus. In the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ shall rise and we that are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds. And uh, thank the Lord, we'll have a glorified body on that day. Amen? And so, uh, listen, after that day, we'll never be tempted by sin. We'll never be tempted by evil uh, because we'll be a whole person. Amen? Uh, body, soul, and spirit redeemed and glorified. And, and if you're a person like me, 
if I always think that if, if anybody can mess something up, it'll be me. Amen. Uh, and sometimes I used to think when I was younger in the faith, if anybody can mess up heaven, Miss Beverly, it's going to be me. I was always afraid that, uh, you know what? <laughs> Am I going to cause heaven to fall into sin again? I've always wondered that. But listen, I'm so glad that the Bible promises that when I receive my glorified body, I will never, never sin again. And uh, I can't be tempted anymore. Nothing that defiles can enter into that city. So if you're somebody that says, you know what, I'm afraid I'll mess heaven up. Listen, God saved you so good and He's going to redeem that body so good you'll never be able to sin again. Thank God for that. What a day that would be. Amen. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place. But we got work to do while we wait. Amen. And so thank God for that. So listen, let's get into this. First of all, I want you to see this. Paul deals with his relationships. He deals with his relationships with this local church. You know, that's what the local church is. It's a place of relationships. It's a place where we get to know each other, where we labor together with each other. We learn each other's strengths and weaknesses. God saved us for to be in relationship with each other. God didn't save us to live isolated. God didn't save us to hide somewhere in a dark corner of our house or the room or the world, but God saved us to be in relationship with each other. God didn't save us to go live in a monastery somewhere or to withdraw from society and live in a bubble, but God saved us from the world that we may live in the world so that the world could know Jesus. Amen. But God wants us in relationship with each other. If you're someone here that's been hurt by relationships, welcome to the club. Everybody has been hurt by a relationship. But that doesn't negate us from the responsibility of learning to live in relationship with God's people. We have to let our walls down. Amen. We have to allow people to know us. We have to give ourselves the opportunity to be known. And that means we have to risk being unliked sometimes or misunderstood sometimes. And I know what it's like to put walls up. Amen. Do you know what it's like to put walls up? When you've been disappointed in relationships or hurt in relationships, it's easy to keep people at a distance. It's easy to keep people uh, behind and away from you, behind the walls you build. But look, God wants us to work to live together in relationship. And Paul deals with these relationships in verses 1 through 3. Uh, he he tells them that he's praying for them. Look in verse number 2. He says this, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Paul says that one of the most important things about being involved in a church is that we have the opportunity and the privilege of praying for each other. Paul says, because of the relationship that we have together, I mention you in my prayers. And I don't believe there's any greater gift, Brother George, than taking the time to pray for somebody. And I don't think there's any greater honor than to have someone ask you to pray for them. Have you ever had someone ask you to pray for them? Don't take that lightly. They, that means they trust you in a relationship with you to have them pray for you. I want to say this. I had the privilege today of being asked to pray for three people today. I, I was able to pray with three 
people in our church today because they are in a relationship with me and I'm in a relationship with them. There's many mornings that I wake up and I pray for you by name. Why? Because God has put us in relationship together. Just this week I received a text from a member of our church that said, Pastor John, I prayed for you, your wife, and your family this morning just like I do every morning. See, that's the value of letting down your walls and allowing relationships within the context of the church to grow and flourish. Why? Because we can pray for each other. Paul said, I'm praying for those that I've been in relationship with. And he says this, not only am I praying for them, but I'm remembering my time with them. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Paul is talking about his memories. Precious memories. Amen. You've heard that song, How They Linger. Amen. Thank God for the precious memories that we have built together with God's people. I believe even right now you can think back over your years being saved and the people that you have precious memories with. People that you have taught in Sunday school. People that have taught you in Sunday school. People that you have went on church-wide visitation with. People that you have uh, went on a bus route with. People that have prayed with you. People that have come to your home and brought you a meal after a surgery and you can remember all these precious memories with God's people. I thank God for the precious memories that I have of all the churches I've had the honor of serving. I have a list of every church that I have had the honor of being part of or serving on staff or as a pastor and I pray for those churches every morning. I pray for the Mars Hill Baptist Church. I pray for the Mount Yona Baptist Church. I pray for the New Haven Baptist Church. I pray for the New Life Baptist Church. I pray for the Hopewell Baptist Church. I pray for the Refuge Baptist Church. And I pray for the Capital City Baptist Church. And as I pray for those churches, I have memories of serving God together with God's people. That's what the church is. It's a place where we serve God together and we create memories that encourage us along the journey. And may I just say this, I'm reading a little book right now by Randy Alcorn on heaven and I read the chapter today that said in heaven you'll still have your memories of serving God together with God's people while you lived on earth. I believe we're going to remember serving God together. Notice what he says here. I, I remember my time with them, he says. He says, I remember the work of faith. This was a church that was a laboring church. It was a church that was not afraid to work for God. It was a church that wasn't afraid of rolling up their sleeves and getting busy for the cause of Christ. I believe that's what needs to be the character trait of our church, the Capital City Baptist Church, that we have a labor of faith, that we work 
and we labor in the faith of the Lord. We don't need to labor in fear, but we need to labor in faith. He also says this, I remember your work of faith and I remember your labor of love. They were a loving church. Well, there's nothing better than a loving church. Amen. How good and how pleasant it is, the Bible says, when brethren dwell together in unity. But let me say this, I don't believe there's anything worse than an unloving church. I don't believe there's anything meaner than an unloving church. Listen, we need to be sure that we're a church where we love each other and we love people that come into our church. We need to love people that don't look like us. We need to love people that don't smell like us. We need to love people that don't walk like us, talk like us. They don't have the same background as us. They have different struggles than us. He says, I remember your labor of love. They were a loving church. Paul remembered that. He also says this, I remember your patience of hope. Listen, this church... Uh, was a church that waited patiently on the Lord's will. It deals with they were patient in hope. They believed that God had a plan for their church. They believed that God had a purpose for their church. May I just say this, if God didn't have a plan, and God didn't have a purpose for the Capital City Baptist Church, I got news for you. Here's a headline. There would be no such thing as the Capital City Baptist Church. God has a plan and a purpose for Capital City Baptist Church. But listen, this church in Thessalonica, they waited patiently in hope. They waited on God. Listen, they did not allow delays and obstacles to create negativity in them. Do you know this? I believe that many people, they don't wait patiently in hope in the church God's placed them in, and they jump ship too soon just because there's some difficulty or there's some trial or there's a storm on the horizon. Listen, every congregation, every local assembly faces trials, faces setbacks, faces difficulties, but we should wait patiently in hope that God has a plan and God is not through. He remembered their work of faith, their labor of love, and he remembered their patience of hope. I want you to see, secondly, he deals with salvation. Notice in verses 4 through 6, he deals with salvation. I want you to see as he talks to this church about their salvation, uh, he gives them a couple statements that I want to point out tonight, but I want you to know this. Uh, you must be saved to be a member of the local church. Amen. You can be an attender and be lost, but in order to be a member of the church, you must have good Bible salvation and a testimony of being saved by grace through faith. And you must renounce sin and turn from sin and be seeking to live a life that honors God to be a member of the local church. Salvation is our song. Salvation is our foundation. And salvation is our mission as a local New Testament church. He deals with salvation. I want you to see this. He has confidence for them. He has confidence for them. Watch what he says in verses 4 and 5. Hear this. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. He says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. Watch this. And in much assurance. 
He says, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your saints. He says this, I have assurance and I have confidence in your salvation. Boy, what a statement that is. Paul said, I've got confidence in your salvation. He says this, knowing their election. Uh, that's a dangerous word if we don't interpret it right in the context of Scripture. There are some that would want us to believe that God has elected some souls for heaven and that God has elected other souls for hell. And the souls that have been elected for heaven, they have no choice. They'll go to heaven. And the souls that have been elected for hell, they couldn't get saved if they wanted to because they wouldn't want to. Let me just say this, that is not the term that we're looking at in the Bible today. Amen? I believe that God wants all men to be saved. I believe that God is not willing that any man should perish, but that all should come to repentance. While at the same time, I believe that a person can't just get saved whenever they want to get saved. I believe that the Father must draw them, and the Spirit must convict them, and they must hear the preaching of the Gospel, and they must be say yes at the accepted time. I believe there's a time that God knocks on the door of a sinner and it's in that moment you must say yes to Jesus and don't put off salvation. Why? Because He may never knock again. He may never call again. So I believe there's a responsibility and there is a sovereign God. And I believe that everybody that is saved is the elect. Amen? And I don't know who they are so I just go around and preach everybody. Amen? We just need to tell the whole world because Jesus died for the world. But he says this, I'm confident in your salvation. I'm confident. Why? Because he says this, I saw the power of God change you. Look what he says in verse 5. He said, For our gospel came not unto you in word only. You know, there's a lot of times that people hear the word of the gospel, but the Bible tells us that they heard the word and the power of God was evident. You know, the power of God is evident when lives are changed by the preaching of the gospel. There have been many times that I've preached a sermon, I've preached the gospel, and one person, it just they just heard the word, and another person was changed by the power of God. Amen? And so Paul says, we're not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for them that believe, for the Jews first and then to the Gentile. Listen, Paul, he said, I was a witness that God changed your life. May I just say this? I'm so glad that the gospel has the power to change lives. Has God changed your life? I'm so glad when I see God changing people's life. Paul said, I've got confidence for you. I, I believe that you're saved because I see God changing you. I've got a newsflash. If you're the same today as you was before you got saved, you probably didn't get saved. God is in the business of not just saving, but He's in the business of changing. And let me say this, the first thing that changed about me when I got saved was the way I think. Amen? God changed the way I think. The things I thought used to be okay now I didn't think was okay. And the God that I used to think had no part of my life, now I thought He was involved in my life. I've seen God change people's lives. I remember there was a guy that I was, my brother as a matter of fact, he, he was lost. He was undone. He didn't know God or His Son. 
And my brother was in all kinds of trouble, all kinds of rebellion. He had venom and poison in his lips and he lived a wicked life. And I began sharing the gospel and I began telling him that Jesus took his sin and Jesus carried his sin to the cross and Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath to forgive him of his sin and, and Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb because he wouldn't need it long that three days later he up from the grave he arose and when he came out of the grave he had keys to death, hell and the grave and in the other hand he had the stinger of death and he said oh grave where is thy victory and oh death where is thy sting and I began to share the gospel with him and the first few times there was no change it, it just came in word only but there came a good day in his life that he said yes to Jesus and the power of God changed his life he began to walk different he began to talk different he began to act different he began to think different and now he's serving Jesus all these years later Paul says I want I want you to know this. I saw the power of God at work in your life. I saw change. He said, look, not just the power of God changed you. He said, but the evidence of the Holy Spirit was in you. Notice what he says in verse number 5. He says this, and in the Holy Ghost in much assurance. See, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we're truly saved, that we're the sons of God. And here's what Paul said. Paul said this, I witnessed not only the change in your life, but I witnessed the work of the Holy Ghost in your life. Paul saying, I saw the fruit of God's Spirit in your life. I saw love in your life. I saw joy in your life. I saw peace and gentleness and kindness and self-control. I, I saw temperance and meekness. I saw the fruit and the evidence of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. Paul, he witnessed the work of the Holy Spirit in and through them. Paul said, look, I'm confident for you. May I just say this? You don't have to hope you're going to heaven. You don't have to wish you're going to heaven. You don't have to wait until you die to know if you're going to heaven. Just not long ago, I was speaking to a young man out here on the steps and he left the service. He seemed under conviction. I called him on the steps and I said, hey, if you die today, are you going to heaven? He said, well, I hope so. You, you don't have to hope so. Today I stopped to visit a man that was lost and, and I began to share with him the gospel. And I said, hey, are you going to heaven when you die? He said, well, I thought, he said, I got saved when I was young, but I'm not saved anymore. And he said, you know what? I'm going to have to leave that up to God. Listen, if you leave that up to God, you're going to go to hell. Amen? If you're going to die just hoping so, you're going to go to hell. Paul said this, I'm convinced that you're saved because I see the power of God changing you and I see the Holy Ghost of God working in you and through you. Listen, you don't have to wonder. You can know the change and you can know the witness of the Holy Ghost. If you say tonight, you know what, I don't know if I've been changed and I, don't, I wouldn't know the Holy Ghost if I'm met him in a phone booth. My friend, you need to run to the cross and bow your knee before Jesus Christ and call on God to be your Savior and repent of your sin because you need the witness of the Holy Ghost and you need to see the power of God to change your life. See, Paul said this, I, I'm confident in your salvation because I've seen the change. And then he says this, 
And not only have I seen the power to change you and the witness of the Holy Ghost, He says this, I have assurance in you. I've even got more than confidence. I have assurance. Notice what He says in verse number 6. Watch His assurance. And ye became. I want to show this. When you get saved, you become something. Amen. When you get saved, you become something. He says this, and ye became followers of us and the Lord. He said, look, I have assurance. Listen, I even have assurance for you because you're followers of God. As dearly beloved children, be followers of God. Listen, these church members, they follow God in their life. Let me ask you this at Capital City Baptist Church. Are you following God? Are you following God? And he says this, not only do I have assurance in you because you're followers of God, he says also because you're joyful in suffering. Look what he says in verse number 6. He said this, uh, having received the word in much affliction, much suffering, watch with joy of the Holy Ghost. He said, I've watched you, I've been with you. Listen, if anybody follows God, you follow God. And not just that, when you suffer, when you suffer for the Word's sake, you don't cry, you don't bellyache, you don't pout, you don't whine, you don't get down in the dumps, you don't get the bully grubs, but you've got the joy, joy, down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Amen. He said you got joy. He saw joy in their life. Let me ask you this. Is joy displayed in your life when you suffer? When you go through affliction and hardship, do you choose joy or do you choose to whine? May I just be honest with you? Sometimes I forget to be joyful. Sometimes I forget to rejoice in my tribulation. Sometimes I forget to count it all joy when you face diverse temptations. We're to choose to rejoice and count it joy. Paul said, I've seen this about your salvation. Listen, salvation isn't some figment. Salvation isn't something floating around. Salvation's tangible, amen? It's something that we possess and something that possesses us. It's not just a profession. It's a possession, amen? It's not just words of our mouth. It's the walk of our feet. He says, look, we have relationships together and He talks to them about their salvation. And look, not just their salvation, he says this, I want you to say secondly, he says, your church is a testimony to the world. My goodness, a testimony, not only to Paul. Paul said, I was a witness of your salvation, but now I see you're a testimony to the world. In verses 7 through 9, he tells them they're a testimony to the world. Notice what he says, first of all, about their testimony. He says, number one, your examples. Look in verse 7, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Acacia. He says, listen, you are an example. Let me ask you this, are you an example? Listen, if every Christian in our church was just like you, what kind of church would we have? Are we examples to them that believe? Are we living examples? He says to this church, you're an example to them that believe. Listen, God has called every Christian to be an example. Every true Christian should be an example to others. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. Notice what Paul tells Timothy, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. How? In word and how we speak. 
in our conversation. That's our behavior in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. We should be examples to others. God help somebody that claims to be a Christian that is a poor example of salvation. He says, listen, your testimony to the world is you're a good example. Number two, notice what he says about their testimony. He says, you're involved in evangelism. Look what he says in verse 8. He says this, For from you, from your church, sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, listen, but also to every place, your faith in Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Here's what Paul said. He said, listen, church, your testimony, you're an example to the people in your community, but you're also evangelizing all around the world. He says, whenever we go into a city to preach and we start preaching the gospel, they say, yeah, we already know about it because them folks down there at the First Baptist Church of Thessalonica, they're serving Jesus and honoring God and, and they've got a testimony and they're reaching people. They're sending out people to reach people with the gospel. Listen, brother and sister, may we be a church that's always constantly engaged in evangelism. You say, what is evangelism? Simply put, evangelism is taking the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to people that have never trusted Jesus Christ. You say, how long should we do evangelism? Until the trumpet sounds. And until gravity loses hold on this body. And we shoot out of here into the atmosphere to meet Jesus Christ. We need to be involved, not half-hearted. Not part-hearted, but wholehearted in evangelism, reaching a lost and a dying world. That is their testimony to the world. Listen, every true Christian is to be a witness to others so that they may be saved. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, we have that on our back wall. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is the mandate of the local church. But look, he says you're a testimony to the world because of your example. You're a testimony of the world because of your evangelism. Let me ask you this. Can it be said of Capital City Baptist Church that we love the world so much that we're doing everything we can to reach Lost people, I pray that when you die and stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that you hear the sweet lips of Jesus say, I'm so glad you was involved in a local church that cared about souls. I'm so glad that you committed yourself to a church that was serious about evangelism. Thirdly, watch this testimony of the world. They were a repentant people. May I just say this, repentance is a good testimony to the world. Notice what the Bible says in verse 9. He says this, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. And how you, here's, here's the word for repentance, turned. Boy, that's a good repentant word. How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. He says, listen, When people tell us about your testimony, they tell us that you are serious about repentance. That you turn from idols. That they knew you as an idol worshiper. But now you've burned your idols. You've thrown your idols away. You don't give and sacrifice to idols. But you've sold out 
to Jesus Christ. You were repentant. You are repentant. Repentance means to turn, to do an about face, to turn 180 degrees. The Bible says that we should turn from sin. We should repent and put our faith in God. Listen, could it be said of Capital City Baptist Church, that church down there, they've got both hands in Jesus. That church down there, they've got both feet in Jesus. That church down there, they've got both eyes on Jesus. Or would they say about us that we got one hand in the world and one hand on Jesus? Would they say we got one foot in the world and one foot on Jesus? Or would they say we had one eye on the world and one eye on Jesus Christ? I pray it be said about Capital City Baptist Church, just like the First Baptist Church of Thessalonica, that we have repented of our sin and we're following after Jesus Christ. They were a repentant people. You know, the first words of the Gospel is in Matthew chapter 3 verse 2 and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is the first word of the gospel. They repented of idol worship. They repented of idol worship. The way they were living, they've turned their back. Well, let me ask you this. Are you still playing with sin? Are you still dabbling in sin? Are you still dabbling in things you know God's against? Hey, go ahead and make your mind up like Elijah said. How long will you halt between two opinions? Do you know what that word halt means? It gives a picture of a man with a broke leg or a woman with a broke leg and they're walking on two sticks, crutches. They're halting, they're hobbling between two crutches. It gives a picture that Israel was trying to hold on to Baal and at the same time say they were following Jesus or following Jehovah. Listen, let us wash our hands of this world and let us turn our back on sin and follow Jesus with our whole heart. He said, look, you're a witness to the world because you're an example, because of your evangelism, because of your repentance. I want you to see also the last thing he speaks of here. I want to talk to you about this. He says, look, church, We've got some great relationships. That's what church is about. He said, look, we've got salvation that's evident. He says, we have a testimony to the world. Then he deals with their eschatology. Well, he deals with end time stuff. Look in verse 10. Two things he talks about. He talks He tells them about the second coming. Look what he says in verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven. You know, Paul believed in the second coming. You know that? Paul believed that he's coming back just like he said he would. Brother and sister, I know it's been 2,021 years and I know the world is getting worse and worse and more wicked and more wicked. But listen to me very carefully. Jesus has not forgot about His people. Jesus has not forgot about His promise. Jesus has not forgot about taking us to be with Him forever. He has not forgot about you and I. And it doesn't matter how long He waits. The Bible tells us in the book of 2 Peter that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness. Uh, but He is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Listen, Paul said, look, we're waiting 
and we're looking to the east because Jesus Christ is coming back. He came as a lamb, but He's coming back as a lion. He's coming back. And He said, look, remember, Jesus is coming back. Brother and sister, every time that we observe the Lord's table, we show forth His death until He comes. And that Lord's Supper should remind us that He died for us. That Lord's Supper should remind us that He's interceding for us. But also that Lord's table tells us that He's coming back for us. And when we observe the Lord's table, we're saying to the world, we're saying to each other, we're saying to the angels, we're telling the devil himself, and we're telling God that we believe you're coming back for us just like you promised. And he speaks of this second coming, but also I want you to see this. Secondly, under uh, eschatology, he says, look, not only the second coming, but I want, you, I want to talk to you about judgment. What he says in verse 10. It says, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. See, Paul believed that there's a day of wrath coming. There's a day of judgment coming. There's a day that God is going to judge the world. And listen, here's how He's going to judge the world. Have you trusted Jesus? Have you trusted my Son? And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And listen, when you trust Jesus, you're saved, saved, saved. But there's a second group of people, and those are the ones that have not trusted in Jesus. It's simple. God doesn't see black or white. God doesn't see yellow or red. God doesn't see good or bad. God sees saved and lost. God sees those that have trusted Jesus and those that have not trusted Jesus. And listen, there is a day of wrath coming one day. Yes, He's a God of love. And He reminds the church, it's amazing, He says, look, God saved us from wrath. Don't forget that He's a God of wrath. And He's a God of judgment. And He's a God one day that will pour His fury out upon the unbelievers. And he says, you remember that he's a God of wrath. There's a judgment day coming. But listen, brother and sister, he says that God has delivered us from the wrath to come. When Jesus said, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. You say, well, what was in the cup? I believe the cup was full of God's wrath. And Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath and satisfied God's wrath. He was the propitiation for our sin, John says. And not for our sin only, but also for the sin of the whole world. And Jesus' death and blood, it appeased God and satisfied God's wrath. And I'm glad today I'm saved because Jesus stood between me and the wrath of God and He paid my sin debt. Listen, He paid a debt that He did not owe because I owed a debt that I could not pay. And Paul says to this church, I want you to remember that Jesus died to save you from God's wrath. The Bible tells us also in Hebrews 9, 27, and as is appointed unto men once to die, but after this to judgment. Listen, if you die without trusting the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, listen, my friend, you will drink every last drop of God's wrath. But if you'll trust Jesus with a childlike faith, Jesus will drink every last drop of that cup. Father, I thank You so much for our time in the Word tonight. Thank You so much for Your presence with us. God, help us to be a New Testament.